Would you turn with me to the book of 1 John? We are continuing in the book of 1 John. 1 John, there's three epistles at the end, the book of 1 John. I have a brother pastor who pastors up north. Uh, he has a 27-year-old daughter who was born with a severe, severe uh, learning disability, severe mental disabilities. They have joy in Christ. Uh, the husband and wife have joy in Christ. Uh, but their girl, uh, she is uh, 27 years old now, and she will never mature to full potential. She has the capacity of probably a three-year-old. And so for 27 years, they've been caring for her, and he's been pastoring as well. And I've met, I've met her. She's a sweet gal. Uh, there is sweetness and bitterness, sweetness and tragedy at the same time. You understand that? Where... They trust in Christ. They understand where she's going afterwards. They have a hope in Christ. God gives them joy. But the tragedy is that there is never going to be any real growth. Sadly, in the spiritual realm, it's tragic as well when believers do not grow or when they stunt their own growth. In ministry, I've seen, I've seen people, I've seen an 80-year-old man who behaved like he was 12 years old. Uh, very immature. On the other hand, I've seen 16-year-olds with so much more spiritual maturity than many. See, spiritual maturity is not necessarily a function of time. Some can be a Christian a lot less time than others, yet grow at a faster rate in maturity, doctrine, and love. God gives us light as to how to actively pursue growth in our spiritual life in Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John is speaking, and he tells us, he gives us the stages of growth, and he tells us how we can grow in Christ. And in 1 John chapter 2, he says, starting in verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, that is his term of endearment. He loves his people. Remember, uh, the Apostle John is writing from the island of Patmos. He is exiled into prison. And so he writes these letters uh, with love. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him. Who has been from the beginning, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. God gave you this passage this morning so that you would strive to maturity in faith in Christ. God gave you this passage so that you would strive for maturity to maturity in faith in Christ. Now, in order to grow in your faith, God gives us two principles to live out, we see here in the text. These principles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, centered on Christ, will help to propel you to grow forward. God doesn't desire that you would stay right where you're at. Very much like when a, 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 to when a teenager still acts like a toddler, you say, man, that's not cute anymore. It used to be cute. 
Now that's not cute. Why? Because they ought to have grown by then. Correct? And God is saying this to us, that yes, He loves us. Yes, He cares for us. Yes, He has saved us. But you have ought to have grown by now. you got to be growing in Christ. Your faith has to be showing itself. You have to be growing in maturity, in the way you make decisions, in the way you react to certain difficulties. God has called you to mature in the faith. And there are two different principles he wants us to keep in mind. And that first one simply is to remember your forgiveness. If you're following along, there are some notes. Remember your forgiveness. Now, you're going to see that I'm jumping back and forth. And and the reason for that is because... Uh, As I'm preaching this sermon, I think it'd be better for us to understand how we are to grow in the sequence that is given here. So first, remember your forgiveness, and I get this from verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And now, we talk about the recipients of forgiveness. Who are these recipients? He says, little children. This is a different word. This is... You can call this the born ones. They are offspring of God in the general sense. And so what he's saying is, before he talks about the stages of growth, he talks to all Christians everywhere, those who have claimed the name of Christ, those who've trusted in Christ alone for their salvation, trusted in his work, trusted in his life, and his work on the cross for their salvation. He says, little children. Now he uses this term all through 1 John. If you recall, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, just jumping up, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So now he, we know that the audience are all believers. He says this to my little children in general. Chapter 2, 28, he says, Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears. Again, he uses this term generally. 1 John chapter 3, in verse 7, he says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. And he also does this in chapter 3, verse 10. If you look at the text with me. By this, the children of God, that means all the Christians, right? Everyone who has trusted in Christ. And the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. The Bible says here that there are two classifications of people all over the world okay this is not a popular message he says here in first john chapter 3 verse 10 the children of god and the children of the devil the children of god are those who have placed their faith in christ and in christ alone the children of the devil are those who have not the children of the devil are those who have not given their lives to the lord jesus christ who have not experienced regeneration, who have not experienced the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, who care not for the scriptures, who care not for the rules of God, who care not for the principles of what God is, and who care not for Christ. The children of God are those who have been regenerated, who were the children of the devil, okay, who were rebellious against him. That was me. That was you. Who didn't want God over them, who didn't want Christ over them, And God has shown his love such that he has melted our hearts now. And so there are the children of God and the children of the devil. And so what he's saying is that these are the folks 
who I am writing to you. He says, all Christians, I'm writing to you little children. Now, it's interesting. When John is talking about growth, we, we see this all in, throughout Scripture, okay? The Apostle Paul tells us to press forward, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, that I may win the prize of Christ Jesus, right? I want to become more and more like him. Paul tells us not to be naive, not to be like children, tossed back and forth, but to grow forward. Peter tells us to, uh, to take in the word of God, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And so all through scriptures, it is talking about Christians. See, it's not enough for us to simply know the rudimentary facts of the gospel. Okay? Does that save? Yes. Are you guaranteed a place in heaven because of what Christ has done through the gospel? Yes. Are you supposed to stay there? No. God would desire that you would grow and become useful for his kingdom. But it's interesting where he starts. He says, if you want to grow, you've got to remember you're forgiven. Now, this doesn't seem like it's connected. You know, you would think, oh, that's, you know, sometimes you hear people say this. They'll say, well, you know, that's the beginning of Christianity. I need to grow more. You know, I need to leave that alone. You know, brothers and sisters, you never get past the cross of Christ. I have to hear the gospel preached to myself every morning. I don't know about you. When I look into the mirror of God's word, I don't see perfection. If you do, I want to meet you. Okay. I want to shake your hand. But I don't see perfection. I see my sin. I see the things that God is still working on. I see the evil thoughts that I have. The words that I, I, I let slip through my mouth. Right? I see all of that. Okay, But in order for me to get back up, you know, you fall off the horse. In order for me to get back up. I've got to know I'm forgiven. Brothers and sisters, this is where it starts. Now, he talks about this reality of forgiveness that is because your sins are forgiven you. It's interesting that he starts there and he summarizes salvation, isn't it? That your sins are forgiven. This is the basis of Christianity. In fact, it's the basis of the mission of the church. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter is preaching, he says, Of him, that is Christ, all the prophets bear witness. For through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That is the sweetness that the Christian has. I am forgiven. See, growth does not determine forgiveness. Let's, let's say that again, okay? Forgiveness is the basis of growth. Salvation is the basis of growth. You don't become more holy. You don't grow in righteousness without understanding this first. You have to come through this. You have to be little children. You have to be part of the family of God. In order for you to grow in holiness, see, this is the big lie of the devil. The big lie of the devil is this. If I'm good enough, if I am holy enough, if I do this on my own, I could make it to heaven on my own, on my own merit. I can do it. All I have to do is just concentrate good enough. And yet the Bible says that won't happen. 
You come to God first with nothing in your hands. You come to God first because you need forgiveness of sins. And when you do, when you say, God, I can't do this, that's when God starts to move in your life. So the basis of change, the basis of sanctification is in forgiveness, right? Growth does not determine forgiveness. Forgiveness is the basis of growth. Salvation is the basis of growth. Now, here's what's interesting. Okay? In order for us to grow, I've got to know I'm forgiven. He says you have to remember that. Why? Because you keep sinning. You understand? You remember he said in 1 John chapter 2, I am writing these things that you may not sin, verse 1, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's amazing. John already knows this, okay? That the trajectory of the Christian is that they would grow in Christ. They would grow in, grow in more and more sinlessness, but there will be instances of sin as long as we are on this earth until we see him in glory. And he says, when that happens, Brother and sister, you have an advocate. Oh, I love this, right? That even in my sin, the Christ will stand in my stead. That's amazing, amazing thought. So this liberates, brothers and sisters. This causes you to get up when you have blown it. When you think you've sinned too much, right? This causes you to get up and say, oh, I can still grow in Christ. All is not lost in Christ. You see, in Christ, there's always hope. Now, he says, the reason for your forgiveness. Now, he doesn't say it's because you're a good person. He doesn't say because you, you have figured this all out. He says this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you, for his name's sake. Now, that's not a little phrase to just kind of sweep under the rug. He says the whole basis of why you are forgiven, Christian, is for his name's sake. Now, what does that mean? Has God forgiven you because he loves you? That is true. Okay, You can't take that away. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So one of the motivations that God has saved you is love. He loves you. Not because he thinks you would choose him. Not because he thinks you're a good enough person. He loves you despite that, okay? But what is it, what is the overarching principle of why God does anything and the Bible says here, it is for his name's sake. In other words, the reason why you experience forgiveness, the reason why you have been saved is so that you would be a witness as we are together as a church that the world would know, that the unbelieving world would know that we do this, we celebrate forgiveness, we revel in the Christ, we celebrate Christmas because Christ himself died on the cross for us. And now it gives him honor and glory and respect. See, the word there for name, 
The word there for name, sometimes when we say that for his namesake, what does that mean? The name there simply means reputation, okay? It means what he is known for. It means uh, what is his glory. So in other words, when the Bible says that we have forgiveness for his namesake, it says the Bible is saying this, that we have forgiveness so that it would extol, it would magnify the very reputation of God himself. Why does God do it? Because he wants his name to be extolled, magnified. Now, you see this all over scripture. And if you try to read through the scriptures with a highlighter, your whole Bible would be yellow. Like so, sometimes when you first come to Christ, you may not see this. But all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, for his namesake, for his glory. He does it for his glory. He does it for his glory. Let me give you some verses. Psalm chapter 25, verse 11. For thy namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So David is saying, forgive me, O Lord, not because, I'm, not because of how low I'm going to you. He says, forgive me so that you would be glorified. So that people would find out how merciful and how compassionate you are. You see, if this was any other being other than God, it would be pride. You understand? That he does things for his honor, for his glory. Why? Because any other person is not worthy of praise. Does not have the perfections of God. Is not infinite in his glory. But because he is God, he will do things that bring him glory, that laud him with worship. Why? Because he's worthy of it. And so now, although all through scripture, it says this. Notice he says this. Psalm 79, verse 8. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let thy compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low now. He says this, help us, help us, O God of our salvation. Why? For the glory of thy name and deliver us and forgive our sins for thy name's sake. Turn with me to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. Notice he says here, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, calls his apostles, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is declared the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, right? And he says here, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice he says this. This is what Paul says. Through whom, verse 5, we have received Grace and apostleship. So Paul is now saying, I've received this office of apostle to spread the glory of Christ, right? And he says what? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Why? Why? What is the heartbeat? Okay. Is it because you feel so bad for them, Paul? 
You feel so bad for other people who don't know Jesus. You have so much compassion for them because they don't know Jesus. That's, those are all good motivations, but they're not the overarching principle of why God does anything. He says here in verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Now, why is this so important? If his name is his renown of who God is, and that we know that God is unchanging in his character, right? We call that immutable. He is unchanging in his character. You know that when God has declared you forgiven, that that is an unchangeable pronouncement. And you see, when I fail, when I say sharp, when I have a sharp tone, perhaps if I'm speaking to my wife and I have a sharp tone or I, or I have a sharp tone with my son or I'm thinking evil thoughts or I respond in anger when someone cuts me off on the road, right? And I don't respond the way a person who is seeking after Christ should, right? Instead of me saying, man, forget this. I blew it. What am I going to do? I might as well just forget it. Because I know God's standard is perfection, right? What allows me to get back up is to know that that perfect standard has been already met by Christ. You're not going to be more forgiven tomorrow than you are today. Is that amazing? Here's let me reverse that to make it even more amazing. You're not going to be any less forgiven of that. You're not going to be any less forgiven tomorrow because you're mad that the kids didn't put the spoons in the dishwasher the right way or they lined the plates up incorrectly. Right? You're not going to be less forgiven. Is that amazing? And so knowing this, see, this is, do you understand? This is where, this is what roots the Christian. Now I know I can get back up. Okay? See, this is applicable for those who have just come to Christ, who are learning in Christ, who are mature in Christ. We all learn this, that I'm forgiven. I, you learn it because you always revert. This is amazing. How ornery we are. We revert back to a works type of righteousness. Well, God must not love me now. That's why my prayers are not being answered. Because God doesn't love me as much anymore. That's a lie from the devil. Your forgiveness is settled. Oh, I love to tell Christians that. Now, this is where growth begins. This is where growth continues. God tells us to grow by first generally reminding all believers that no matter what stage of growth they are in, to remember your forgiveness. Remember this, okay? You'll be surprised just tomorrow morning, you, if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you have to go to the cross again. That's how fast it is. Um, uh, God gave us an opportunity to go to um, the Mayan Riviera, I love it there. I love Playa del Carmen. I love it down there, you know. 
and our whole family was there. And no matter how beautiful it is, we still got into our little sins, our predicaments. Oh, you're sitting in my seat. Get out of my seat. Who ate the last of the bagels? Right? Can you believe that? No matter how beautiful the location we are at, that sin still bubbles up. And I have to remind myself to go back to the cross, to confess and repent, and to know that my forgiveness has been settled. Little children. Amen? Little children. Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. That will never change. Secondly, secondly, track your progress. So remember your forgiveness. Why? That is the basis. That's the foundation. That's how you will grow. You will not grow beyond that unless you have that settled. Unless you know where salvation comes. Unless you know that Christ is there for you, that he has died in your stead. Secondly, track your progress. This is very good. This is very good advice, verses 13 and 14. Okay? In sports, sometimes you lose. Right? When I lose, um, when I lose a match, okay? <laughs> it's embarrassing, right? But when I lose, I always ask my opponent, okay, what could I have done better? Right? Because when I lose, I want to avoid it next time. Right? Sometimes, uh, I, I remember sometimes I, I'll stick my arm out like this, and then, man, they just make me pay for it right? Um, in the sport that I do. I also want to test myself to see where I'm at constantly. I always want to see where I'm at. I want to be able to progress. We do this in work, right? Every year, I had to do performance evaluations on, on folks, right? Because I was in HR, right? You all know this. Oh, no, i got to do a performance evaluation. They're going to show me where I'm at, where, I'm, where I need to grow. You do this in school. That's why you take these diagnostic tests, right, students? They always want to test you to see where you're at, right? God gives us these stages so that we can see where we're at and so that we could pursue forward. We'll go in the order of the stages of growth. Let's talk about spiritual children. Now he talks about spiritual children. And you see this in verses, verse 13a, okay? Verse 13a. I have written to you children because you know the Father. Spiritual children. And the way I like to classify this is those who have an initial relationship with God an initial relationship with God. These are folks who have just come to Christ. They have just seen the glory of Jesus. They are filled with joy. They are filled with passion. They're going to reach the whole world for Christ. All right? I love it. It's wonderful. This word children is not the same word used for little children up in verse 12. This word is for very young children. You could call it toddlers, infant to toddler. They're always in need of parental care, right? Always in need of parental care. These are the babes who don't know what danger lies ahead. These are the babes who would stick their finger in the plug socket, right? Because they don't know, right? These are uh, the ones who would, if you leave marbles, they'll swallow a marble because they don't know the danger. They'll swallow grapes or bits of hot dog or something like that. Now, he says, I have written to you children because you know 
the Father. And so what typifies those who are simply spiritual children are those who just know the Father. They know Him by experience. They, they, know, they know God just as an infant knows their own parents. Okay? Um, I love babies. We've had, we've had four kids, and I love to hold babies, right? But uh, even uh, when uh, Elena Gidry, when she was put on my chest, I don't let her see my face, okay? Because I know she recognizes mom and dad, right? So if she doesn't see my face, she, was, she wouldn't know that a stranger is holding her. So I go like this, <laughs> and I hold the baby. But once she finds out, you, hey, you're not dad, right? You're not dad. Then she starts crying. So I get, I get a nice two or three minutes, okay? Then I go, okay, Jason, here you go. There's your baby, right? Because the baby recognizes who God is. The baby recognizes who his, his or her father is. Just like the new Christian, they recognize who their father is, right? They treasure their new relationship. But the problem is, with babies, they're prone to dangers. They lack strength. They lack discernment and understanding. They're excited about their relationship with Christ, which is good, okay? Mature Christians should come along those younger Christians and fan that flame, make it hot, make it hot. Don't be a wet blanket. Don't say, oh, yeah, just be a Christian a few more years and you won't be excited anymore. Oh, don't be like that. Please don't be like that. Fan it, but direct it, okay? The naive, they're naive. They typically follow emotions rather than truth. Those who are mature should encourage their new love relationships in Christ, relationship in Christ, but not stay there. Oftentimes, uh, children, uh, spiritual children, they can't tell what is biblically correct. They have a feeling, but they can't tell. They haven't been trained. They haven't trained themselves. Sadly, many ministries are content to stay right there. They say they won't teach doctrine because they believe that doctrine divides. Instead, they throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater. They don't allow folks to grow because they don't teach the scriptures. They forward, here's, a, here's an indication of an immature, an immature Christian. Okay? They forward any Facebook meme with, without testing if God actually says that. You know? They see it on Facebook. Oh, that must be right. Oh, there are guardian angels everywhere. Well, that must be right. God loves those who help themselves. That must be right. Without testing what the scriptures say. Right? They're enamored with angels. They're enamored with experience. Yet they don't test it to scripture. They say, wasn't that good worship when the songs were not theologically rich? Nor accurate. The songs resemble more like love songs to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Just substitute your boyfriend for Jesus in those songs. Their Christianity has no form. It's as if they want Christianity to be as formless as possible as to not offend. All the while, keeping people starving for the gospel. See, the churches need to grow folks. They need to teach them. Teach them doctrine to grow. 
Their Christianity is like trying to nail jello to the wall. There is no form, and because there is no firm promises to hold on to, there are no firm promises to hang on to when the hard times come. Sadly, some Christians continue to stay in these type of ministries for a number of reasons. One is they don't know any better. Two, they don't like the implication of what the scripture says. You know, Sometimes it's, well, the Bible says this, and then they go, well, I don't like that, so I think I'm going to keep going to a church that doesn't teach that. Right? Or they are taught that taking the word of God seriously is divisive or unloving. Mature Christians, it is incumbent upon you to come around those, to encourage them, to disciple them to greater growth and accuracy and purity in the gospel. Okay, So then how does that occur? That comes to our next section. Spiritually young men. Okay, Spiritual young men. Spiritual young men. Now, this is a classification of Christian. Okay, The first one we call children, right? They are enamored with their relationship with God, and rightly so. They should be. But now, this is spiritually young men, and they are described differently. And I like to classify this as discerning doctrine. Discerning doctrine. These are folks um, who, and let me uh, read the verse. It says, I am writing to you, young men, 13b. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Okay. 14b. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Okay. So what is he saying? He's saying this overcoming, this conquering, right? This, uh, this ability to not be fooled, to not be swayed by false teaching is what? Is caused by this thing called the word of God abiding in you. Okay? This is where growth occurs now. This is where growth must include learning doctrine. It must include learning doctrine. Okay. You cannot grow without learning doctrine. Everything about Christ is doctrine. That he came from heaven on high. That he took on human flesh. That he died on the cross for our sins. That he offers forgiveness through the cross. That is all doctrine. You cannot be firm in the scriptures. You cannot be firm in your faith unless you learn doctrine unless you learn the word of God not a mystical or a one-time experience it is the normal intake of God's word trusting it and living it out you grow more in clarity and in doctrine and in discernment look at first Peter chapter 2 first Peter chapter 2 in verse 1 he says therefore Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, okay, and envy and slander. And then he says in verse 2, he says, like newborn babes. These are the, when you first come to Christ, okay. And now he's saying, this is how you grow in the Lord. Like newborn babes, longing for the pure milk of the word, milk of the word, you understand. So what is it that nourishes, Right? We have this huge movement of, you know, of, of natural milk, giving natural milk to our kids, which is, which is great, I think. But so what the Bible says here is, what is the natural, the most nutritious meal that a Christian could have? And he's saying, 
The most nutritious meal is the milk of the word, the Bible itself. Why? So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. How are you to grow in doctrine? How do you, are you to grow in discernment? How are you to grow? He says here, by regular intake of God's word. Okay. Spiritual growth does include theology and doctrine. But it is, but you can be theologically correct and not practice it, okay? It is taking in of God's word and practicing it. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And it says here, for... Though by this time, notice Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The writer of Hebrews is, is, is speaking to the believers who have received this epistle. And he says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. He's saying, you should have grown by now. It's amazing how he's speaking, right? You should have been here by now. You weren't paying attention. You didn't discipline yourself. Now, we know that growth is caused by overall the sovereign work of God. But on the human level, on our side, are you doing everything you can to grow in the Lord? You know, your growth is only hindered by you. You've been given the word. You've been given Christ. You've been given the spirit. Are you taking full advantage of what God has given? And then he says here, verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. And now he's talking about the oracles of God, that is the revelation of God, that is the word of God. Verse 13, he says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. And then verse 14, this is how you grow. It's not just the intake of God's word. It's not just the intake of doctrine or theology, but now it's the practice of it. He says in verse 14, solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. What happens is as you receive the word of God and as you allow it to find its root in you, and as you, as you start to obey the principles that are in Scripture, you start to grow in it. I like a good saying. We used to say this in seminary. Is I went to seminary to study the Word of God. But when I went to seminary, I learned that the Word of God studies me. Do you get that? The Word of God. I need the word of God to study me. And what that means is, do you let the word of God to be the final arbiter of your life? The final authority of your life? The final wisdom of how you make decisions in your life? That is how you will grow, brother and sister, in the faith. Rooted in forgiveness. Rooted in relationship. Now maturing in doctrine, okay? So, if you are a young person in this, 
How do you grow in this? You take every opportunity you can to hear the word of God preached, to be discipled, to grow in the word of God. If you are an older person, you take every opportunity you can to hear the word of God preached, to be in fellowship. You create things in your life that are non-negotiable. I will spend time with God by the power of the Spirit every morning. I will go to home group every Wednesday. I will go to service every Sunday unless I'm sick, unless I'm sick or out of town. I will do these things. Why? Because I'm taking seriously my growth in Christ. Brother and sister, if you do not take your growth in Christ seriously, who will? Who will? Lastly, spiritual fathers. These are more, and you could rate this now. You could, I like to typify this as mature relationships. So it comes full circle. There's the initial relationship of children, okay? Then it is now informed by doctrine of what God is, who God is, what he is like, what are the things he doesn't like, what are the things God hates, what are the things he loves. And now that you are equipped and you know who God is and what he's like and what the scriptures are, now that coupled with that relationship with, that you first had, and the doctrine, now you're no longer immature, but you're mature. And this now brings a more intimate and close walk with God himself. Because now the more you know about God, the more intimately you can know God. And so now, this is spiritual fathers. He says, I am writing to you, verse 13a and 14a, he says, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And then he repeats it. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning, the beginning of their salvation. Now, again, you are saved, you are forgiven, you have that initial relationship with God, you grow in doctrine, and now you come full circle again. Now you know God more. Now you know him more intimately. Now you know him more closely. Oh, I love to be with saints who have walked before me. Love it. I remember I had a friend in my Bible study. He was 84 years old. Walked with Jesus more than I've been alive. Right? He walked with Jesus over for 50 years. He knew scripture in and out. He memorized 600 verses. He showed me how to do it. I couldn't do it. Right? And as, as I remember when he... Uh, when we, when we buried him, I remember just knowing, like, even as I was at the hospital bed when he was, was going to die, I just remember the sweet and intimate relationship he had with God. Brothers and sisters, pursue this. If you fail, remember you're forgiven. Get back up. Do you see how that works? I remember I'm forgiven. So you have no excuse. You have his revelation in front of you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is relationship solidified with a foundation in biblical doctrine. And now you get to walk more intimately with him. So believers grow in their relationship. 
young children to sound doctrine, sound doctrine to an even greater understanding and appreciation of God. Brothers and sisters, do not stunt your own growth, but pursue him with a thirst and a hunger that you would be more intimately acquainted with Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have given us these, these stages so that we can see where we're at and we can grow forward. But even beyond that, Lord, we can do nothing apart from your son. We can do nothing apart from his forgiveness. You tell us that in your scriptures. Thank you so much. We don't have to stay immature. Your Bible says that you've given us pastors and teachers so that we would grow, so that we would not be children tossed back and forth as the waves. Lord, make us solid in our faith, strong in our faith. We pray. Thank you for Christ. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.